Hello and welcome to today's County Road Bobblers podcast. It's myself, Witch, and I'm joined by a couple of repeat guests on the uh, the old Bobblers podcast and, and friends of ours um, who are none other than Paul Liesk and Roger. Uh, Paul, I'll, I'll start with yourself. How are you, mate? Are you, 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 you're finding yourself recovering slowly. and you've been through a lot, so it's fantastic to hear that you're starting to make improvements, um, <clears> you know, and I'm really, really sorry um, for, for what you've been through personally, mate, as well. <laughs> well, well uh, thanks, David. I, I really appreciate that. I'm sorry if uh, Roger and I are repeating on you, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've just been extraordinarily lucky. I'm not going to go through it all again because I'm sure people have heard, but um to have gone, gone through two strokes, particularly the second one, and to be in the condition I was left after the second one. And here we are four weeks later, um, I'm, you know, functioning pretty much as well as I possibly can. And um, the, all the prospects for the future look very good. Um, I'm just extraordinarily lucky. And, you know, part of that is down to the skill of, of the medical staff. I don't think it matters where you are in the world. Um, medical staff are all the same and they uh, look after you and they care for you and they save lives I'm sure I'll speak for a lot of the uh, fan base out there Paul to say you know that our, our, our thoughts were all with you when when obviously the news broke that you know what you were going through and you know it, it, we can thank our lucky stars that you're in position that you are and, and it's good to hear that you're on the improvements <laughs> if, if your doctor found out you were talking about Evan you might have stopped this podcast to be honest with you but uh Gladly, you, you haven't told your doctors that you, you, you're off talking about Evan and, and raising that uh, blood pressure. Um, let's, just, let's just finish on this bit. Let's finish this bit on, on this. <laughs> Apparently, when I woke up the first time um, in like the major trauma units or wherever it was, somebody asked me, was there anything particularly stressful in my life? <clears throat> and, I, and I said Everton, apparently, because they were all asking me later what Everton was. A massive stress. We all love them. Uh, as a football club, but yeah, it's stressful as well. I'm talking about stress-free, uh, a man who who's known for a bit of the odd dip in the sea. Uh, Roger, how are you, mate? You, you keeping well? Uh, yeah, uh, thanks, Dave. It's lovely to, to talk to you and, and to be with Paul again. Yeah, he's been through a lot. It's great that he's come out the other end. Um, will he ever slow down? I doubt it. Um, but, you know, he's been a pretty major force in trying to shine a light on some of the nonsense going on in our football club, he still unbelievably gets grief off people, but hey-ho, and I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with the effort he puts in and the information he shares, so looking forward to having a bit of a bit of a natter. Definitely. Uh, thanks, lads. And yeah, look, I, I think this podcast is important. Um, you know, the, not that the music ever stops in football, but we're, we're in international break as, as we're speaking today. Um, so we're not in that kind of fixture after fixture um, role at the moment, so it's nice to slow down. There's been a lot happens at this football club that we all know and love, uh, and and for me as you know the everyday fan, uh, it, it's useful really for me to pick the brains of, of yourselves. That the, the, a lot more should we say savvy and experienced um, in terms of the business side of football as well. So we'll be touching both on the business uh, and and also uh, the, the football side as we go on. So. The, the, the kind of before we go on to the ownership that, that obviously will come naturally probably into this conversation, we'll start on the actual transfer window itself. Um, obviously that seems to still be going on, and we will come on to Damari Gray. Uh, Roger, uh, um, you know, what did you think of, of the transfer window? Were you surprised, um, by the, the amount of money that we made? Um, and just for context, 
obviously Paddy Boyland's article went out uh, today, uh, suggesting that we've made a saving of 85 million, which is a, mi- a mixture of wages and transfer fees out, and we'd only actually spent three million. In terms of the footballing side of that, and then obviously coming on to the business, and then we'll, we'll then ask yourself, Paul, were you surprised by that, Roger? Do you think it was a good transfer window, or do you think that that, that actually, you know, that that we could have done more in that that transfer window? Thanks, Dave. Uh, I'm going to let Paul talk about the numbers. Obviously, he's better placed than me in terms of you know what that meant. Eighty-five million, whatever was saved, mixture of fees, and and, and then saving on wages. But uh, personally, as a fan, <clears throat> I was disappointed with the window. Um, I think um, you can make a case that we're actually weaker at the end of the window than, than we were at the start. Um, I think Beto is a really good signing and he's shown potential. I'm very pleased with him. Gives us a bit of a focal point and he's got something about him. Fantastic, big tick. I like Dan Juma as well. Didn't think I would, but I really like him. He's done uh, well. He's impressed. He's also spoken well. And what both of those two seem to bring to the squad is a, a more positive, a more professional uh, and a more committed mentality. And I think that's something we've lacked. And I think that's been a real shortcoming in our recruitment under all our directors of football. And I make no exception for Thelwell. I know Thelwell's hands have been tied slightly, but I, I don't quite understand. Uh, I don't understand Ashley Young. I don't understand signing a 38-year-old on 60 grand a week. I think that's an awful lot of money. And, and I'm not sure that we're better with him. And I think that money might have been spent elsewhere better. I'm not sure I understand Chimiti. I don't understand the logic of that, of buying someone for the future. And I don't understand us collecting uh, left-wingers when we have a big gap on the right side. And I don't understand why we didn't strengthen at centre-back. I think some of our outgoings are good. I think we did well to get £7.5 for Tom Cannon. I think it was poor that we only got £3 for Ellis Sims. And I think the timing of that was also poor. I've got a view on Damari Gray um, in terms of the timing of that and how it was handled by the club and how he was sort of turned into a, uh, you, you know, pilloried and sort of thrown under the bus. I, I don't think that was very professional. I don't think that reflects very well on the club. Uh, it's good money for him, but it's Saudi money. So, you know, those prices are inflated. Overall, I'd probably give the window four, five out of ten. I think we needed a little bit more and a little bit more creativity. Um, so, yeah, that, those are my views. Thanks, Roger. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to argue in terms of how you've scored it. Um, you know, I think it was probably a strong window in terms of, as you said, the money that we've got in. We'll, you know, obviously ask Paul what that might mean for us, you know, in terms of a playing squad and a football club. But like you say, we are short in certain areas, well, quite a few areas, you know, potentially fullback, as you say. Uh, yeah. You know, certainly centre half. I think you know we could. You know, we're in, almost an injury away from having Michael Keane come back into that back four, and we know that he's been struggling massively with confidence. Um, you know, and, and his performance levels haven't been great. Uh, you know, and we we we're almost in that scenario. If, if the worst happens up front, if Beto gets injured, then we're almost then hoping that Calvert Lewin becomes fit again, and and we're back in that asking the manager every week. You know, is is Calvert Lewin fit? Um. Mm-hmm horrible cycle that we find ourselves in for a number of years now. Um, so, you know, it's a thing across moments. Hopefully some of these players stay fit. Um, so, it was, you know, good good signings in, but not enough for me. We are still very thin. Paul, obviously, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of mentioned about the fee side of things. I know that you you do give a bit of a an outlook ahead of the window in terms of how much you believe Everton have got to spend. Were you surprised? Um, at the, the the level of, of you know, uh, the, well, the disparity between the, the amount that we've actually spent and what we've actually taken into the football club. 
Um, not at all, Dave. Actually, uh, I think I think I think you've got to look, look at the window in the context of where where the club is at. The, the club is. Uh, I'm sorry, I sound like a broken record, and, and, and I, you know, I apologise for it. But but the club is in a desperate set of circumstances financially. Um, you know, we are desperately short of cash. Our cash flow position is is really poor. Um, not helped by some of the investment decisions that have been made recently, and I guess we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. Um, but also, I think as a as a proposition, uh, Everton must appear to be a very uh, difficult proposition to sell at this moment in time. And I think I actually think Thelwell's done a good job. I think Thelwell, for the first time since he's been here, and probably for the first time in Mashiri's reign. At the club as a, as a director of football, has actually been allowed to go out there and, and, and do his job as well as he possibly can do. Um, and you, I think you've got to think about well, what is it that he's selling? Well, he's he's obviously selling the fact that we're a Premier League club, and he's selling a little little bit of our history. But I think when when you get beyond that, and people start asking uh, more searching questions about which direction is the club going in, you know, what's the recruitment plan apart from recruiting me? Uh, not only now, but in you know January and and next summer, for example, then the, the club, I guess, would find it really difficult to answer those questions. So I think in that context, uh, we've done really well. I also think we've done quite well to get rid of the, of the players that we have got rid of. Um, you know, for years we've talked about getting rid of the deadwood. Now, some of that has been sort of what you might call natural wastage by virtue of the fact that they got to the end of the contracts. But I think this has been probably our most successful window in terms of getting rid of those players who self-evidently don't don't fit into the club at all and have been a drain on resources for uh, a number of years. So I would I, I accept entirely from a footballing perspective if you just look at the squad in isolation and if you look at the team that we can put out week in week out, um, we are in a weaker position and relative to you know many of the other Premier League clubs in a very weak position but I think we've done it probably have done as well as we possibly kind of expected and in my case actually I think we've done a little bit better than, than I expected so I'd score it probably um probably a, se a seven actually I think I think I think it's been a much better window than I anticipated do we think do we think Alex Awobi's dead wood do we think Damari Gray's dead wood? Do we think Alice Sims is dead wood? Well, I think I think you have to look at it from the context of um, you know what, what what have they actually produced for us in in the squads that they've played in, and I don't think they've produced enough. I don't think they've produced enough th throughout their time at Ever as Everton. So um, maybe dead wood is. Yeah, you, you could make that argument about so many players, for goodness' sake. You know, <laughs> I mean, dead wood is Gabamin, and we finally got his contract cancelled. Yeah. That's fine. And we could talk about Cenk Tosin being Deadwood. But, you know, Alex Iwobi, he's given his all. And Fulham, who are no mugs and don't have money to, to, to throw around, have given us £22 million for him. I think that's a really good piece of business for Everton. But I think to call Iwobi's de Deadwood is, 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 is pushing no, the envelope a bit. Not, 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 not everyone was Deadwood, Roger. I accept that. What I'm saying is, is that let's, you know, let's step back a bit and let's assume for a second that the board had a strategy which, you know, is, again, stretching it a bit. But let's assume for a second that they had a strategy. What would the strategy have been? The strategy would have been two things. 
three things actually. It would be what funds can we recover? So who are our most sellable assets? Obviously don't want to sell Pickford. Uh, and I'm very glad that we didn't because I think at the end of the season, Pickford's going to be the difference between staying up and not, and not staying up. But then who can we sell and who, who, who can we get reasonable fees for? Awobi obviously being one of those. And who can mm -hmm. we sell that if we do sell them, reduces the wage bill, which is, is the second point. And who can we sell if we do sell that actually reduces our amortization costs? This is what the board must, must have been thinking. And again, you know, I'm giving the board the credit that they're actually doing some thinking here and they have a strategy. That's what they must have thought um, at some point before the beginning of, of the summer, because that's what the club desperately needed if the club hadn't got the investment that it desperately needs. And it didn't get that investment and it still hasn't got that investment even at the end of the window. So in that context, the club, the club has done everything it possibly can do. And that's why I'm, I guess, a little bit harsh on one or two players. That's why I'm saying effectively Deadwood because very high cost, but yet very, very low in terms of um, product. Okay. Let me ask you a question, can I? Because I, I listened to this Daish interview about Damari Gray, which you might touch on separately. Mm -hmm. But one of the things he said was, during the window, everyone knows we're up against it financially. Everyone knows. The club told me. The club told me we had no money to spend. The club told me we had these financial restrictions placed upon us. We all know that we've, you know, we've got this independent commission and you know, we're up against it FFP-wise, let alone up against it cash flow-wise. But what I don't understand now is we don't have a board, really. I mean, we don't. We've got Farhad Mashiri and some interim people, and we've got Colin Chong, who's a project manager. Right, so we haven't got a board anymore. Grant Ingalls ain't there, Denise ain't there, and Bill ain't well. Right, so we haven't got a board. And I know, Dave, you want to talk about how long is this interim period. But when we talk about a board and a strategy, and when and when Sean Dyche says, the club told me we had financial restrictions, who the hell told him? Because it can only be Mashiri. I mean, it can't be anybody else because Bill's in hospital. Denise has left. Grant Ingalls has left. And, and Kevin Thelwell isn't an accountant, whilst he may be a good negotiator, and I don't doubt what you've said, that he's done some good deals, particularly with Beto, structured those deals very creatively. Mm. <laughs> but who is it who's told Sean Dyche that he doesn't have any money to spend? Well, I think, I mean, we've still got a functioning finance department, even if the um, names of the people within the finance department aren't instantly rec recognisable. Um, and of course, we've also got a very, we had from the last accounts, a very strong warning from the auditors as to the future viability of the club and, you know, the very threat to the club about, um, you know, whether we could actually stay in business or not, whether we would, would not go into administration at some point. And I, and I, I know from what happened before the beginning of the summer that everybody in the club would have been made very aware of the club's financial position. You know, we were in a, okay. by, by the end, of last season, we were in a desperate financial position, and it would have been it would have been very obvious to those that make the decisions to the um, to the executive executive level and above that we were in a really really bad position, and we needed to sell in order. Essentially, we needed to sell in order to survive. If we didn't get the investment in, now as it turns out, we didn't get the investment in. So what we actually ended up doing just about keeps us in business. And I think that recognition has focused minds because without having done what we did in this window, uh, I don't think we'd be in business today. 
out of interest, okay. then, because this is the kind of question that I, I've seen crop up on Twitter and you know the WhatsApp groups you're in and what have you. Um, two twofold really. Can we expect to spend in January? Because that's what most football fans instantly think when they see money coming into the business and are not being spent. And secondly, um, a question that was kind of posed: How bad is it? You know, are we talking that this money will, you know, if it's not being spent in January, is this money literally just to keep the lights on? It is literally just to keep the lights on. I mean, that, the, the, the problem Everton have got is, is a cash flow problem. Okay, we, um, we, spend, we spend everything that we earn on, on wages and on um, operating costs. Uh, we can't borrow any more than we've borrowed because we just reached the maximum amount that, that we can borrow. Nobody sensibly is going to lend us any, any more. And we have an owner in Fahad Mashiri who can't afford to put any more money into the club. So we don't have any, we have no other funding options other than to sell the assets that we have. And that's what we've done over the summer. We've sold as many players as we possibly can for as much as we possibly can. And we've bought players and tried to spend as little as possible in doing that. I think we spent, was it three million pound um, this summer and everything else has been deferred either till later this year or, or, or beyond. And that is just a reflection of the fact that this club without new investment is on its bare bones. You know, we are at the, at the limit in terms of our credit facilities. We spend every penny that we earn and we have an owner that can't put more money into the club. And, and, and that's the harsh reality of it. So when, so when we get 22 million or 20 million for Alex Iwobi, Paul, just explain to the audience what happens to that. We know 100 million's come in and on the results business, we talked about that, you know, paying the 15 million pound a month or so that we're paying out to Lango Rourke. But we don't know let's the 100 million's come in yet. Okay, we don't know that's come in, but let's just, let's just forget the stadium exists and let's just talk about keeping the bloody lights on, which Dave is absolutely mm -hmm. right about. So 22 million quid comes into our bank account. Let's assume they paid it all up front for Alex Iwobi. Um, what, what, what's the monthly uh, cost of running Everton Football Club wages, interest, operating costs, etc.? It's at least for 50, at least 15 million pound a month, possibly, possibly a bit, possibly a bit more in cash terms. And our um, income and our income in terms of, you know, the, the, the regular stuff or the chunks that we get in from the Premier League and the gate money and the season ticket money. So our income <clears> roughly equates to what on a monthly basis? Well, if you, if you averaged out, it would be just under 15 million. OK, so we're just so about a, washing our face. Yeah, that's why I'm saying that we spend every single penny that we earn and we will get that. You know, the money comes in in, in unequal chunks. So, yeah. we, you know, for yeah. example, we will have had all of the season ticket money in already. And yeah. then we have yeah. the, you know, the different chunks of Premier League revenue that come, come throughout the year. And then we have regular chunks of money that come in from our merchandising and, and our um, sponsorship arrangements. Um, okay, so, so, so the 22 million quid that comes in that's brand new money, what the fans want to know is why can't that go and be spent on an Alex Iwobi replacement? Because it's it, it's it's allocated to expenditures throughout the year, just general okay. expenditures throughout the year. I don't think for a second that we got the twenty two million up front. No, I, I I'm sure we didn't either. Yeah. I'm sure we didn't. So it's um, not new cash coming into the bank no. account. But you know you you you've got to you've got to remember. And again, this sounds horribly alarmist. 
um, and nobody at the club will talk about this for obvious reasons. But effectively, rights and media funding control our bank accounts. Yeah. So um, the, the charges that they have and the charges are the things that allow them to have financial control of the business include Everton's bank accounts with Metro Bank, which is, you know, our main bank. And whilst we're not in a default position with, with uh, rights and media funding, rights and media funding have the right to say what goes out of our bank accounts. It's, uh, it's a very sobering um, thought, that, isn't it? That we're actually controlled almost by, by lenders. Um, I don't think me as a, as a fan on the streets realises that, probably. You know, I, I see the money come in for Awobi and think, right, who can we get, you know, looking you know, at players out there and that's all you think about it. You just don't realise that that money's all, already probably allocated elsewhere. There was obviously a question um, someone raised, um, you know, fellow Everton, you're not on the, the kinds of threads to say, you know, I mean, I'll ask, I'll ask this one to yourself, Paul, if no investment, if no investment comes in, uh, the next 12 months are we at risk of administration yeah sooner than 12 months well we probably probably can see ourselves through at least till um christmas and i would imagine if no investment comes in by christmas we're looking at um selling more players in january which is you know not, not a great time to either be buying or selling because it's a it's a slightly strange market um but yeah, it's, it's difficult to see how we can continue to, uh, we just about cover our costs, okay, in terms of our income versus our costs. We're about at that point where we cover it. Um, but the big thing we've got also, obviously, is, is the stadium. And it's difficult to see how we can continue to cover, just about cover our costs and pay for the stadium when, as I say, we're maxed out in terms of our uh, you know, it's, it's like if you're maxed out in, on your overdraft, and yet you've still got to pay the electricity bill at the end of the month. How, how do you how, how do you do it without without selling an asset? Because you can't go any further into debt, and that's and that's the position. And I know it sounds horribly alarmist, but that's effectively the position that we're in, and that's why the 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 need for investment is so strong. That's why. And Paul, have, MS, have MSB disappeared then now completely as potential investors? I know they, they, whether the 100 million, you know, have they completely disappeared as potential investors that are only going to be lenders for the stadium now? I, I, don't, I don't think so. It's just that it hasn't happened. And I don't know the reason why it hasn't happened. Um, had it happened, we, we would know about it. Had the investment happened? Sorry? Had the investment happened, or had the had, loan... had, had the had the hundred million loan f to the stadium company gone into the football club? Two things would have happened. A Andy Bell's charge. Andy Bell effectively has a charge against the whole of the stadium development company at this moment in time because he lent the club something approaching forty million pound in in May of this year. Most of that would have been repaid had them had the money come into the club, the hundred million come into the stadium development company. Yeah. Most of that would have gone, well, some of that would have gone to pay off most of Andy's death. And it, what would have happened then is that the charge that Andy holds would have disappeared or been reduced. 
and um, uh, MSP would then have a charge over the uh, stadium development company and that would appear on company's house. Now, they have 21 days to register the charge, so uh, it's not as if it's instant. But in these circumstances, normally it's, it happens very quickly after when after the money has been handed over. Um, and that's quite clearly not the case. So that's quite significant, Dave. What, what Paul's saying there is that the 100 million that supposedly was still happening was a loan to the stadium company hasn't necessarily arrived yeah. yet. But it's also that's the case... Um, sorry to cut across, across you, um, it, it, Roger. It, it's also the case that even if that money arrives, it has no impact actually on the football club itself. All it does no. No. is is um, satisfy Langer Rock shareholders because they now know they're getting at least another hundred million um, yeah. off off the remaining bill. It, it is really, like I say, you know, it is kind of. You do sit here and, and, and really consider this. You know, the situation is a lot worse than, than I assumed. It's just, you know, a football fan that's going every week and not necessarily tuning into, you know, that back end of the finances and, and the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, it, how likely do you think it is? to? Obviously, I think the, the, the big thing that, that I've seen as well, there's evidence that, you know, fans tagging Qatar in and tagging, you know, various multi-million pounds, um, Companies saying, you know, do you want to invest in Everton? Um, why, why are we not seeing, um, I think I've heard this this phrase used by yourself, actually, Paul, is blue chip investment, investors or blue chip businesses get involved in Everton. What do you think is that the blocker? I think, well, I know for a fact that professional investors have approached Fahad Mishiri with a view either to buying Everton or to buying a stake in Everton. Investors other than MSP and 777. But the stumbling block for all of them is the price that Fahad Mishiri wants for his shares. You know, I, 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 I said on Twitter early, earlier this week that whoever buys Everton Football Club has got a huge amount of expenditure. They've got to, they'll probably want to pay off rights immediately media funding that's up to 200 million pound um is, there's as much maybe as 350 million pound still to pay for the stadium although obviously if msp put 100 million in that that reduces and then there's and then there's the sort of recapitalization recapitalizing of the football club itself investing in the squad and making sure that you know we do have a squad that is fit to compete not just at the bottom of the Premier League, but, you know, much, much higher up the Premier League. And all of that money is probably six to seven hundred million pound. Um, and then on top of that, you've got to pay whatever it is that Fahad Mishiri wants for his shares. Now, if he wants half a, half a billion pound, 500 million pound for his shares, that means an investor coming in now is probably looking at 1.1 to maybe 1.2 billion uh, to buy Everton and to fund Everton over the next few years. And frankly, Everton aren't worth that. Even with a even with a completed stadium that was fully funded, Everton aren't worth that. And that's and, and that's that's the issue. The sorry, just to finish, that's uh, that's the issue. The um, the blue chip, the quality investors, the people who understand and know how to value a football club and are, return, are focused on returns because they're investing either their own or their clients' money, know that 
And because they can't get past Mashiri's insistence of an unreasonable price for his equity, nothing happens. So, so just let me try and summarise that in 20 seconds. What Paul's saying is that the equity to buy these shares in Everton Football Club, there's zero value in those shares, okay? Because if you buy those shares, you inherit a liability of £200 million to write some media funding, anything up to £350 million to complete the stadium project, and perhaps another 150 to spend on the squad. So if you rock up with 700 million, um, you're fine. You can you can take over Everton. The stumbling block is Mashiri. Mashiri wants half a billion pounds or thereabouts for his equity. And there isn't a sane person on the planet who would give him that. And that is before he's already got debts. You know, there's also about 450 million pound of shareholder loans, which is what Mashiri has lent the company lent Everton, which hasn't been converted to equity, that he needs to write off. So Mashiri's taking a bath in somewhere in the region of eight to nine hundred million pounds if he wants to get rid of Everton. The, 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 the assumption is, is, is that Mashiri doesn't get any, any of his shareholder loans back. No, of course, so, you've assumed that. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand yeah, so, you've assumed that. So if he gets if he gets five hundred million for the equity, which he won't get, but if he got five hundred million for the equity, he would probably lose close on four hundred million pound in total, and what I'm saying is that it's not worth five hundred. People will pay something for it, almost as an act of like an act of goodwill and an act of so that he doesn't lose face completely. He, they may pay one hundred and fifty million for for the equity, just as you know, sort of. Well, it's okay. It is a Premier League club at the end of the day. And it will be a club with a new stadium and it will be fully funded because we're going to put the money in. Therefore, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that amount of money. Um, but that's about as far as it goes. The alternative for Mishiri, and, you know, Mishiri at the end of the day is a gambler. And so far, every hand he's played at Everton, he's lost. The alternative is that he sticks it out. But the danger in sticking it out is that we might go um, into administration. And if we go into administration, then he will receive nothing. You know, if we go into administration, two things will happen. He, he as a shareholder would pretty much receive nothing because we have to pay off rights and media funding. We have to pay off um, Met Metro Bank, but we also have to pay off the remaining amount for the stadium. What will happen if we went into administration is that instantly the stadium company would be sold to a property developer or a property investor, and we would become tenants of that new owner. So, you know, the stadium has some value. I'm not, I'm not saying the stadium has no value at all. It has some value and it could be sold for a reasonable sum, sum of money, but that money would then be used um, either to pay existing debts or to pay uh, Langer Rock in the future. It would mean if we went into administration that the club has no assets, Mashiri gets nothing because there is nothing for him and we don't own the stadium. Well, just explain, can you, for again, for the audience and for me and for Dave, um, what triggers administration? Going into administration, people talk about it like they just hear the phrase roll off the tongue. What does it mean and how does it actually happen? How could we go into administration? Is it simply that we just can't afford to pay the bills, the wages, the lights, the interest, 
as they fall to you? What triggers administration? Essentially, there's two things. First, there's the situation whereby somebody who's owed money by the club, we're unable to pay that, that they can trigger administration. Um, so they, so they can write some media funding, for example, could. Yeah, although right at this moment in time, rights and media funding aren't saying that we have to pay them back anything. They're only saying we have to pay them something back if there's a change of ownership, um, because we've got a three-year rolling credit facility with them. So that's not particularly an issue at the moment. I don't think rights and media would, would, would trigger it. What would trigger it, I think, is if we couldn't pay for the stadium or if we couldn't pay the players' wages. I think that's what triggers administ administration. The other way that we can go into administration is if the directors believe that we're no, we can no longer trade as a solvent company because in that, in those set of circumstances, the directors have a legal obligation uh, to, to put the company into receivership or, or, or administration. Um, and that's, that's the other possibility. Now, th these problems go away if we, if we get new investors in. But if we don't get new investors in, what we've done in you know in selling players is just just kick the can down the road a little bit. And if we manage to get through to the end of next season and we are relegated, then, then you know, obviously that is then that would then be another trigger event. Uh, but I'm, I'm you know I'm not even looking at that. I'm hoping that we uh, won't have to look at that problem. We've got more immediate problems, which is the current problems as as, as we stand now. By the way, for anyone who are rights of media funded, <laughs> very good question. They, ultimately, it's a well, it's a UK-based company that lends money to uh, to to football clubs, not just to Everton, and it lends money to football clubs uh, overseas as well. I think the portfolio, I think they've got about just over three hundred million of outstanding loans to different football clubs. Of which Everton's is believed to be 200, 200 million. Um, it's a long, boring story if you follow through all the various companies, but ultimately you end up with um, the fact that the guy that provides the money for rights and media funding to lend to football clubs is a guy called Michael Tabor. So it's not Philip Green, like many people think. Uh, Horse Green's racing owner Michael Tabor. Yeah, Philip Green has never lent her Everton any any, any money. Um, it's a guy called Michael Tabor. Right, okay. And uh, how much is, is Michael Michael Tabor? You know, what's his kind of? Obviously, he said lots of football clubs, but how much is he, how much is he worth? He, he's worth at least three quarters of a billion pounds, seven hundred and fifty million, I would say at least. And, and how much is you know how much is he earning off Everton Football Club for? Say monthly, annually. Off, off well, I'm, I'm I'm told that he charges Everton uh, 12 percent. So let's say, for argument's sake, just that we've borrowed one hundred and fifty million, not two hundred. That's eight, eighteen million pound a year in in, in interest. It's, which is million. yeah, staggering. Um, no, three hundred and sixty thousand pound a week. But bar selling selling the you know the you know the. The crown jewels, the you know the, the family jewels, as such. I think I heard Roger describe it as uh, how much are we actually taking in as a business? Just just over fifteen million pound a month. So our turnover will be around about one hundred and eighty million pound this year. 
So he's getting a decent chunk each each year, basically off off the ten percent of our income. Ten percent of our yeah, income. Ten percent of our income is currently going to fund our debts. Well, our, our debts with rights and media. Yeah. Uh, and, and just obviously, I know this is a, a long-standing issue, and I know that uh, like so Watch Toffee and people like that have obviously done articles and, and various threads uh, on this, but. For for someone that, that might not know, um, and just to keep it really short before we move on, um, how did we get into to a position where we're borrowing this money, and, and who invited this this chap into to lend money to Everton Football Club to an extent where he's taking ten percent of, of the football club's income? The relationship between rights and media funding and the various companies, bef- rights and media funding has had different names over the years goes back well, well well over a decade and the relationship uh, um, was owned by uh, Bill Kenwright. Now, when Farad Mashiri came in, he brought a guy called Sasha Ryzenstev in as finance director, as you know. He was a, uh, a Russian, but he was a London-based banker, well-known in banking circles. He arranged lending facilities with a, a Chinese bank called ICBC, which was absolutely perfect. Um, and would have lasted a long time, except ICBC withdrew from the UK market uh, after suffering some quite heavy losses and lending to UK corporates. And that left us in a position where we had, we, we had a few months, but we had to find a new lender fairly quickly. There were banks that were prepared to lend to us. Um, but my understanding is, is that uh, Mr. Kenwright said, look, these guys write some media funding. They're longtime friends of the club. Uh, they ask very few questions as to uh, you know what we're actually doing as a club. They are the perfect solution. I suspect he thought that they were going to be a short-term solution, as against now being a long-term solution. Um, but you know, if if indeed they ask fewer questions than uh, a normal bank might, uh, you pay for that in the interest rates that they charge. Interesting that you should use the, the term short term and long term. Um, you know, the the word interim um has been a word that's been used in communications by Everton. Um interim for me um suggests short term. But we've currently got an interim board of directors um uh, that, that involves uh, various people, including Bill Kenwright, that still remains at the football club. Um she uh Farhad Mashiri was quite keen. Allegedly, to keep uh, Bill Kenwright involved, Roger. What, 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 what's your before we come to Paul on that? What, what's your understanding of interim? How long is this interim going to go on? And was that communication a bit flawed in terms of what we actually put out to, to what the reality of the situation is in, in terms of how long that that board would, may, may persist in? Um, yeah, interim involves to me in my mind a short term or, or you know a defined period of time. And I think the key thing about interim is that there's a period at the end of interim where things return to normal. The point is about Everton, there is no normal. The only normal we know is chaos and incompetence and narcissism, you know? So I find it absurd. The MSP deal has now collapsed from an investment perspective, apparently. Even the loan may not be in, may or may not be in. And we have an interim board. Well, the, the interim board was put in place because there was an event happening. That event isn't now happening. So now we need a board. We need a board of directors with a business to run. 
And that's not a board of directors to interfere in transfer dealings, but it's going to run the business, going to grow commercial revenues, going to do all kinds of things that are needed operationally, various partners, and and you know it's going to interface with the Premier League. Um, that's going to be the face of Everton. Everton doesn't have a face. Everton is a faceless monster, really. Um, there is nobody, as I've said before, as you and I have spoken on here and Paul and I have spoken on, there is nobody who is the face and the voice of Everton that the fans and the people and the media trust as the voice of Everton. So uh, interim, no idea. I mean, what interim means for me is somebody covering a gap, right? I, interim, somebody's on maternity leave, paternity leave, sick leave, whatever. It's interim, right? Interim, things are going to return to normal, but there ain't no normal. So so it's just, a, it's a piss take, mate. It's just a piss take. I don't understand how you can have an interim board as we have at the moment. If no investment's coming in, we need a proper board. Um, and that proper board, as Paul doubtless will say, can only come if we get proper professional investors in who provide levels of competence and new levels of expertise uh, and skills into the business because we just don't have them in the business right now. Roger, uh, just, just to stay with you just before we go back to Paul. Um, yeah. Obviously, we, we, we're probably on the verge, well, obviously, as long as it is funded, um, on probably one of the most significant moments in the football club's history in terms mm-hmm. of brand new law. You know the the yeah. actual, you know the ability to to seize on that moment commercially. You know merchandise, mm-hmm. the whole kinds of international aspects. You know bringing in sponsors. You know that we've never maybe be able to get to get into the football club. How confident are you that that that? Well, I mean, I'm answering my own question, but we've got interim boarding, and we're potentially talking about this. You know, this significant opportunity that will never happen again potentially for a hundred years. Is twelve months, eighteen months away. How you know? How confident are you in in the, in the current setup as it stands today of delivering or capitalising on that opportunity? Uh, very, very low in confidence. Um, I know personally, number of people who could come in and increase that skill set uh, by by a factor of three, four, five times could come into the business and do that. I'm sure I'm not the only person. Uh, listening to this who, who who has watched the newcastle uh, amazon prime documentary and um it's really dead simple you know i mean after episode one it's dead simple what they're doing they're just maximizing their revenues they're having professional people engaging with professional suppliers be it adidas be it sponsorship deals and of course they've got the saudi card to play and you know we can debate the rights and wrongs of that but what you're watching there is you know business acumen 101 that's all they've done they have done the basics right at Newcastle. And, and and the fact that Everton haven't done the basics right for 20-odd years, longer probably, and certainly have got most of the basics wrong under Mashiri, means that this massively significant moment, this change of home, um, this, this, this great potential inflection point may be wasted, um, is, a, is a huge cause for concern because we don't have anyone who's competent enough with a good enough network and sound enough commercial acumen to maximise the opportunity, Dave. It's as simple as that. And we, I mean, we're talking life-changing, aren't we? You know, in terms of... Well, you know, well we're talking transformational. Things. We're talking yeah. transformational. This is a moment you either capitalise on or just goes out like a whimper. It's like a firework display where it rains and... You know, none of the fireworks go off. That's the problem. 
Forget whether or not we're in the bloody Premier League, you know. Forget, forget, forget whether we're opening up at home to Rotherham in the Championship in in, in Bramley Moor, which none of us want to even contemplate. But imagine that our first game in Bramley Moor Dock, competitive fixtures at home to Arsenal, or at home even to West Ham United, you know. Um, and nah, we're we're just not we're not ready. We're absolutely not ready, and we don't have the skills to to to. You can say what you like about Farhad Mashiri, but he has dug deep in his pocket and he will probably end up delivering a completed stadium at huge personal cost. And his biggest single failing is he hasn't equipped the business with people who can make the most of the opportunity that he's delivered in, the, in a brand new stadium. And that's the bit that I just don't understand. It's totally baffling. Um, you know, it's totally baffling, and it, it's hard. To, uh, you know, is it if on the that's got a season ticket goes every week, and I can't think about Brandy more at the moment. I'm thinking about the next game and the next game after that, and and staying up in, in the Premier League, and you, know, you should 100%. be able to do these moments, and uh, you know, and actually start to, to you know to take things in properly. But you just don't feel like you can. Um, well, you, it's 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 so it's so frustrating because. You know, we've played four games and we're in the bottom three. Christ almighty, we normally don't drop in the bottom three till April or March, do we? You know, uh, I mean, yeah. it's just, it, it's unbelievable, the Groundhog Day element on the pitch and, well, and the links to the incompetence off the pitch. Roger, just just before, actually, we'll kind of touch on that before. We come, we will come back to Gray as well. But, um, you know, in terms in terms of, you know, the, the Groundhog Day on the pitch, stuff that you're talking, obviously, you know, it's... If we if we had to look at the records at the moment, I think uh, Sean's eye just currently standing at um, two wins in fifteen. Um, you know, if you discount last season, uh, four games, three losses, one draw. Uh, you know, we we know that Farhad Mashiri often isn't known for his patience. Um, mm. You know, he's certainly probably not known for for his presence or or a plan, as well. To be fair, but we're throwing a few peas out there. Um, how long do you think Sean Dyche has? Um, do you think? And I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm not saying what would your personal opinion be in terms of would you get the Sean Dyche? But in terms of Farhad Mashiri, do you think that he's getting very, very close or sailing close to the win? To you know, in terms of keeping his position as a manager. Um, I think he's under real pressure. Um. It's a results business. I'm terribly sorry, and that's not a plug for our podcast. It's a results business. We've got one point out of 12. We've got Arsenal coming to town. We'll probably end up with one point out of 15. We then go to Brentford. We might lose that. Then it's one point out of 18, and then the pressure is really on. The only way we stay in the Premier League this season is if the three promoted clubs are worse than us. And, and, and you know, Sheffield United, they gave us a decent game. We drew 2-2. I don't think Dyche is helping himself with the performances and with his tactics. And, and personally, as a fan, purely my personal opinion, a footballing fan, I'm not convinced he's a very good coach because I don't think we're getting much better. We thought we were getting someone in who would keep us tight at the back and uh, put sweat on the shirt and all of those, you know, all of those, uh, you know, cliches. But we're, we're an open door at the back. Um, we may well have solved the goal-scoring and attacking problem with Dan Juma and Beto and Harrison, and we've got some options there up front, which is really nice and very, very welcome. But the defence is awful. The fullbacks are terrible, and we're conceding goals for fun. And without England's number one, we'd have lost at Sheffield United, and we'd have been sat on no points from 12. So I don't think Dyche is helping himself. And, and 
you know, it's the usual argument, isn't it? Of course, you can't. Don't want to keep sacking managers. We want stability, but I, I just, if we are still in the bottom three by the next international break, because there's another two to come yet. It's one in October, one in November. I think it's going to be very difficult for him. And I think, you know, the whole, you know, just there were parts of that Damari Gray interview that didn't sit well with me. It was like a man who was really trying to, you know, be ultimate Teflon over it. And and some people are seeing through it. I think some of the fan base, some of the people I talked to are a bit frustrated with him and don't like the football we're seeing. And, you know, we don't really care because we need results, but the results aren't coming and the football's not good. Okay, we've got a massive XG, but really? Come on, we're not playing well because we can't defend. So I don't think he's helping himself. I can give you a timeline, but he's two to one favourite with the bookies and there's no, there are no mugs. Yeah, no, it, 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 well, just, just obviously, uh, as we mentioned it there, um, I'll ask you a couple of questions, Paul, and we'll come back and kind of come back onto that that, that kind of finance business element very shortly, but Paul, what position do you, do you see Sean Dyche at the moment? Do you, do you think he might be close in terms of not from the fans, but maybe Farhad Mashiri getting the axe? I think he's, personally, I think he's in a very invidious position because he's clearly not been given the funds um, to do what he wanted to do and to strengthen the squad in all of the areas where they needed um, strengthening. I think... I actually disagree slightly with Roger. I don't think he's that close to to the sack. I, I understand the logic in saying he must be because that's what happens to football managers' results business. And Mashiri has always been trigger happy. Um, but I think I, I think again we're driven by circumstances here. And you know I'm not sure we can afford we could afford to sack him. And I think you know the other problem we would have is who on earth would come to Everton in, in that scenario where he is sacked? Which credible manager is going to, you know, it's the same argument that we could have about the investors, which credible manager is going to come to Everton in the, in, in the event that Sean Dyche is, is sacked in the next couple of months? We've had this conversation about uh, Frank Lampard being sacked. We've had yeah, the yeah. conversation about Rafa Benitez being sacked. Who would come? Who would come? Who would, there's always someone. And why shouldn't there be someone? Because it's still Everton Football Club. You know, I, I, I think, I, I just, uh, it, it is so frustrating. 2023, September 2023, we're having conversations we've been having for seven years, you know? And and it, I don't see, people say Daesh is a perfect fit and people said Lampard gets us, but there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, you know? And, and that rottenness is a rottenness of culture. And I don't think the people that Mashiri has brought in, be they managers or directors of football, have addressed it. Because from my perspective, we haven't signed the right type of players. And I don't necessarily mean skills-wise, I mean mentality-wise. I think we've signed a lot of quite weak players or, or players who need direction. We haven't got a leader. We haven't. When was the last leader we had? I mean, you're probably going to say Phil Neville, for God's sake. Uh, I, I think that is a big concern for me, to be honest with you, Roger. I was talking about this last time about this WhatsApp, not, not long ago, about, about leaders. Um, and obviously, Tarkowski, I think he's been given the vice captain, which pretty much means captain, because, you know, 
Seamus, God love him. Yeah, we're talking eight, 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 eight or seven, eight weeks already for him to come back again. You know, he's he's holding on. I think he's a fantastic captain. He's been a you know a fantastic role model for the football club. But the likelihood of him actually playing regular games for Everton is getting slimmer and slimmer by the year, and I think that's even less likely. So, talk about James Tarkowski potentially being the captain. He's an okay player. I think he's you know I think he was a smart signing on a free transfer. I just don't see him as a massive leader in that dressing room. Um, no. I was a bit, if I'm honest, it might have been finances dictating it, but I was a bit frustrated that Conor Cozy was kind of not taken up at four million. Very strong character, you know, someone that, that might be able to hold that dressing room. And there were rumours that that Pickford had the vice captain taken away from him. Um, and given to Tarkowski that wasn't wasn't necessarily greatly received. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't look at that Everton team, and if Seamus Coleman's not on the pitch, I just don't see. You know that, that I know. I know that. By the way, I, don't, I know leadership has changed. You know, the lead the leaders now are different than you know your Roy Keynes and your Vinnie Jones and all that kicking people at the backsides and screaming at people. We know that, you know, there's role models, people who, you know, do the stuff behind the scenes, rally, you know, look after young players. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's hard looking at that Everton team if you see the characters, you know. And that was one of the things, actually, that, that I remember speaking to Lampard at Finch Farm. And, uh, you know, he was very open and honest when, when I spoke to him and he talked about that he identified a need uh, to bring in additional leaders. Uh, and Conor Cody was one of the solutions that he brought in. Um, so yeah, we've kind of backtracked away from that, and I am kind of asking myself questions in the back of my mind: Does that leader exist? I, I know this this sounds a somewhat ludicrous statement to to make, but I'm going to make it anyway. Um, I, I wonder how much of a priority the football team is to Fard Mashiri at this particular moment in time. Yeah, I think I I, th- I think he could justify to the fan base, and he could justify to. But he doesn't really have to justify to anybody um, in keeping the current management uh, on the basis that you know they survived last year. Uh, he would argue they've had a decent window um, this the, the, this window, notwithstanding the limitations that we see. And I think because he would find it difficult to uh, afford to sack uh, Deitch and afford to bring in. You know, because it, it's no longer just one person, is it? It's, it's a it's a group of people that he has to bring in. I think he would find that very difficult to do, and I'm not sure that he's got he's got that attention to do that at, at this particular moment in time. You know, one of the one of the problems that we have, just as, as a football club generally, is that because we face such significant financial problems, that are existential in terms of what you know as Mishiri himself said it actually leaves very little other management time and resource to look at other things so I, I suspect you know if I'm just looking at this from the outside that the idea is that you leave the current management team just to get on with it and between now possibly and Christmas let's see where we are at Christmas because at Christmas then there's still the chance that we might escape relegation even if we're you know somewhat adrift at, at the bottom bottom of the league i just don't see him doing that now given the multitude of problems that he has elsewhere but paul and, and this kind of builds on from the point before about the interim um 
you know, oh. he's actually put himself on the board now. So is he on the board because he's, you know, the needs numbers and the needs, num- you know, names on the sheet? Or is he on the board, board because he's actually closer to things, getting involved? So have we effectively got people on the board that aren't interested? Eve, from your point there, have we effectively got likes of Farhad Mashiri making up the numbers, but actually he's tuned out, not really bothered, and he's off in Monaco on a, on, on a ship somewhere? No, I, th- I, th- I think he's consumed by um, his financial difficulties. I think, Paul, you, you obviously you, you've given us great insight, as you always do, but I think one of the most pertinent points you've made here is that Mashiri is a gambler. And I speak as a gambler myself who's just lost money because Malta-Gibraltar has ended 1-0, and I thought it would be more than one goal in that game, and that was a stupid bet. He is a gambler, and I think you're 100% correct that he is minimising the investment in the footballing side of the business because he hopes, like we all hope, simply put, Luton, Burnley and Chef Hugh are worse than we are. Um, because Luton are, Luton are down. I mean, I think I think we can all say that with a degree of certainty. They're not up to it. They don't have the depth. They don't have the talent. Uh, and they're delighted to have a season in the Premier League. I'd love to be proven wrong. God bless them, because we all love the underdog. Burnley haven't started well. Burnley are shipping goals for fun. And Sheffield United, you'd like to think we could finish above that. And I think he's betting the farm on that. And by betting the farm, I mean betting nothing on it. Yeah? Because he is a gambler. Um, and, and therefore, he'll keep Daesh for as long as he can keep Daesh. But if we are in the bottom, you know, we've played four games, we've got one point. We haven't played anyone yet. We haven't played Arsenal or Chelsea or Tottenham. We haven't played Man United or Man City or the Reds. So we haven't played West Ham and we haven't played Brighton. The only decent team you could say we've played are Aston Villa and they thumped us 4-0. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's gambling that that actually we're just going to be the fourth slowest kid in the race, you know? Um, because, you know, you look at this Premier League, the standard at the bottom is lower and lower and lower every year. And the number of points you need to stay up is fewer and fewer. So I believe your point about him being a gambler is absolutely pertinent that he's not going to invest he'll suck all the money he can which isn't asset stripping you're absolutely right he put 800 million quid of his own money in but he'll keep as much money back as he can to keep paying for the stadium so the amount he needs to borrow is reduced from 200 to 180 or whatever but but if we're still in the bottom three come november he's not gonna have a choice dice is gonna have to be sacked it's just you can't it's just you can't he, he won't get away with it yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It, it just It's just a question of what his appetite for risk is at, at that time and, and what he actually believes. You know, of course, it will depend on who he thinks is a suitable replacement for Daesh. And then the question is, it's going to cost me this amount to move, you know, to, to remove Daesh and his team and bring in whoever the new manager is. What is the, uh, what, what's the performance upside from, from, from the new manager? Yeah, but what's at stake is sixty million quid, right? What's at stake? No, but, is 60 but what do you what do you do in terms you, of relegation? Yeah, yeah, but that that's true whether there's a new manager or not. So I mean, that's a, that remains a constant. What he's going to do is say, if I spend this amount of money, what do I get for that amount of money? What guarantees does a new manager, new management team, um, bring me in terms of the likelihood of escaping relegation? Because Actually, if I think we're not going to escape relegation, I may as well not spend the money. 
Dave, you're 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 on mute, by the way. Essentially, you're betting on on Machiri doing differently than he's done in the last two years because the last two years he's you know he's dispatched a draft Benitez right at the end of the January transfer window. He's dispatched a Frank Lampard pretty much the, you know the same time again. Yep. Um, so we're we're almost betting on on Machiri changing his habits um, and not dispatching of a manager during the January transfer window when things just don't go right because, you know, obviously all the mitigating factors behind them. You know, I think there's a, a million and one stories of failed managers. Every every single one has a, it's an individual kind of tailored story. Um, but, you know, the, the depressing thing is, like, like I think Roger's alluding to, I personally wouldn't sack Sean Dyche, but I can confidently say I didn't necessarily want him to be appointed. Mm. But do I think Mashiri would sack Sean Dyche I would probably say yes. Um, you know, and I, I, I probably think that actually his contract is a lot less than maybe some of the managers that have gone before. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think he got a big bonus for keeping us up. I think he got a big bonus for keeping us up, and uh, I don't think the payoff would be anywhere near as big. Um, and, and, and let me just say for the record, I don't want to sack Sean Dyche. I'd like him to stay in the job. And I appreciate what both of you are saying that Mishiri. Maybe trigger happy, you're saying, Dave, and Paul, you're saying he can't afford to do it. What I'm saying is the harsh reality of results. If we're still in the bottom three, 15, 16 games in the season come November, he's not going to have a choice. The pressure, the media pressure is going to be intense. Dice is a prickly customer. He doesn't always handle himself well in front of the media. Um, You know, pressure, pressure. Mashiri will. There won't. I mean, if we're still in the bottom three, that's you can't. You cannot go into January in the bottom three without sacking the manager. It's going to happen. And I, I, I think the side story to this is something obviously Paul picked up on his, his podcast um, on Sunday was that obviously there is that hearing in October as well. Well, yes. Um, mm. So there's that going on. Um, you know, the, the the you know a manager leaving to flex a lot of issues and, and concentration elsewhere. You know, a new manager comes in and that kind of, let's get behind him, let's let's put everything behind the new manager, we can't, you know. So I, I think it does sometimes provide a necessary dis- distraction from from certain people. You know, if a manager does get sacked inevitably. Um, Paul, maybe, maybe we're being a bit unfair there, but, I, but the question, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I do want a, a manager to be at Everton Football Club for five years. Mm. I think that the, the continuity is, is really important in Premier League football. Um, you know, we've seen some managers that are very good managers need time. Um, so for me, uh, you know, I, I do, you know, as much as didn't want Sean Zeich, want this fella to succeed because if he, if he succeeds, then we all succeed. Um, you know, we want Evan to do well. But moving on, kind of from that, um, you, we've obviously got a, a view. You know that we'll see when 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 the pressure kicks on. Fan advisory boards, they're in place. They done a, a space the other day. Um, I think that was the first one that the fan advisory boards have done. We've got all these ownership challenges going on. I've got to admit, I've never read. You know, it was, it was like reading. Uh, a cross between Narcos and Miami Vice, reading some of the stories about some of the potential investors without naming any names. Uh, but, Paul, if you were the, in that fan advisory board now, um, what would your attention be on and, and how would they be best fixed 
do you think to represent fans at the moment? I think they're in a really difficult position, and I don't envy any, any any of them at this particular moment in time. I think I think they, I think what the what the fan advisory board and I actually said this to to Jazz today. I think what they've got to do is make sure that Fahad Mishiri understands exactly what the fans expect from an owner of Everton Football Club, not only in terms of his role as owner, but what he brings to the club in terms of the people around him, the board. And the, and the executive team, and that no matter what's happening on the pitch, he's failing us in, in, in that department. Um, I think the other thing the Fan Advisory Board have to do is demand more information from uh, Fahad Mashiri so that we know exactly where we are in terms of investment. If the situation regarding the club is, is as desperate as I'm suggesting it might be, well, tell us where we are. Roger, I'll let you come in a second. We are no, no. A mat- we are a mature enough fan base to accept the truth. And in fact, I think most of us would agree that the truth is favourable to not knowing what is going on. The other point, I think, is that we have to remember that Fahad Mashiri, consistently throughout his period at the club, has, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When he's been put under pressure by fans, he's folded. He's done things that he said he wouldn't do. He's spoken to fans after he's been seen to be put under a great deal of pressure. I think the Fan Advisory Board has to put Fahad Mishiri under so much more pressure to become more accountable to the fans. A hundred percent. I would only I would add two things to that, which are actually the same point, but just expressed in a different way. It's just a nonsense for the fan advisory board to come out of a meeting and say the club are tight-lipped. There's no point in the bloody meeting then, is there? Right? I mean, there's no point the club being tight-lipped, so don't have the meeting. If you've got nothing to say, cancel the meeting, right? But don't think that the fan advisory board coming out of a meeting with the club, which is my second point, to be told that the club is tight-lipped, that is not communication. That isn't even kicking the can down the road. That is a waste of everybody's time and energy. People on the fan advisory board are great, really committed Evertonians, Dave Kelly and the like, salt of the earth, absolutely fantastic individuals who all want the best for the football club and I have respect for them and I agree they're in a hugely invidious position. But can we stop this nonsense about talking to the club? The club is Farhad Mashiri. End of story. The club is him. He owns 94% of the equity. Can we stop talking about the club? There is nobody there. There's an interim board. It's a ghost board, right? We don't have a chairman because the chairman's ill in hospital and we hope he recovers. We don't have a professional CEO. We don't have a professional finance director. Okay? So so the club is Farhad Mashiri and now wouldn't you know it, he's on the board. So the fan advisory board need to be demanding a meeting with Farhad Mashiri because he's the only person who can answer the questions. He's the only person who can communicate. End of story. Let's not, you know, Richard Kenyon may well want to talk and, and may well feel he's empowered to talk. Richard Kenyon doesn't know any, doesn't own Everton Football Club. Farhad Mashiri does. He has all the power. And if the fan advisory board is to be taken seriously, the only people, the only person they can communicate with is Farhad Mashiri. Roger, out of interest, just come back on that. Would you stop meetings until Farhad Mashiri? 100%. 100%. The fan advisory board have my support and they have my respect. But I think they should put out a statement which says, 
we will only meet with Farhad Mashiri and not representatives of the club because those representatives of the club are not empowered. The only person with control over what's going on is Farhad Mashiri. And Farhad Mashiri needs to meet with the Fan Advisory Board. Full stop. Thank you, Roger. Uh, Paul, any any kind of build on what Roger said? What are your thoughts or comebacks on that? I think I think Roger's spot spot on with his um, assessment. I I, th- I think the fan advisory board has to show some teeth, and you know the club likes to take the credit in terms of being at the forefront of fan engagement. Well, the fan engagement has to be meaningful, and like in any relationship, when times are hard, when times are difficult in a relationship, the relationship can only succeed if there's communication, if in hard times, they, both sides uh, separate or one separates from the other or one fails to communicate with the other. Um, there is no relationship, so there is no engagement, so the whole thing is a farce. Um, the club, Fard Mashiri in particular, has to has to realise that. But he also has to see the, the benefits of it. This is not just uh, the fan advisory board or the fans making life difficult for Fard Mashiri. It's us, us asking him, you know, what is going on at the club? What are the solutions to the problems that we have? And ultimately, we as a fan base, we want to get behind you. We don't want to be at loggerheads with you. We don't want to be at loggerheads with the board. We actually want to support your actions, but we need to understand what those actions are. And we need to be able to speak to each other sensibly, like adults, and arrive at solutions which we can both feel happy about. The biggest advocates for Everton Football Club are the Everton fan base. We've seen that. You know, when the club has been in difficulties in the last few years, it's the fan base that have dug the club out of those difficulties. We are a massive resource to the club, and we but we have to be trusted to help in the process that the, and the difficulties that Fired Mashiri currently has. And the only way you can do that is through communication and allowing the fan advisory board to make, to communicate with the fan base. Can can I just chip in with one more thing there? Um, I, I'm I'm sympathetic to the fan advisory board, and as I've said, I, I respect them and their intentions are, uh, I'm sure, one hundred percent real and genuine. But the club, this club, and this club for twenty odd years has abused its fan base. It's a strong word to use, I know. But they abuse people by giving them a sneak of access, okay? A sneak inside the football club that they love. And some are seduced, some are more easily seduced than others. The only way the fan advisory board and the fan base, which they represent, can get change at this football club is by uniting. And that's harder to do than it is to say, because we all want a better Everton, whether we're match going fans, whether we are in L4, whether we're down on the South coast like me, whether we're in North America currently like Paul, wherever we are in the world, we're committed and we love this football club and it will be with us for life. But we as a fan base need to unite and we need to put pressure on Farhad Mashiri through the channels that are open to us through the fan advisory board, and through others, through protesting and through action, through direct action, to bring about the change that we need. But 
if we aren't united, believe you me, we are pissing in the wind. Because unless we are united, we will not have an influence on the owner of the football club. And that's why the club tried to pick you off with a little bit of access here, a little bit of information there. And I don't blame people for taking that. But fundamentally, the club are taking the mick. And, and, and the fans are the ones that really know. We really know what this football club means. We really know what the standards are. And that doesn't mean we expect to be in the Champions League forevermore. But we understand that surviving relegation is not something to celebrate. And we need better. And we need, as a united group, to demand better from the only man who can make that happen, and that's Farhad Mashiri. Couldn't agree more, Roger. Actually, couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, all together now, just to finish, Paul. Um, any any plans that you're aware of, or you know, obviously we saw about the fan advisory boards, or you know, what what should fans do to to try and help the situation that we're in at the moment? Is there anything you can do? I've been a little bit out of the loop uh, just because of um, my own personal circumstances in, in recent weeks as to what All Together Now is doing. Um, I think we have to, I, I think we have to maintain pressure on Fahad Mashiri uh, through channels, as, as Roger said, the Fan Advisory Board. But I also think that we have to come together as a fan base and there has to be a physical representation of our concerns and of our desire for change. I think just sitting and, and doing nothing and waiting for things to improve or hoping that things will improve is not going to get us to where we need to be. And of course, the big danger is that if we don't do anything as a fan base and the worst happens, as described earlier, we're all going to sit there one day and say, why didn't we do something? And I think the, the, the time for doing something is, is, run, is running out. We have to do it now. And as Roger said, we have to be united in, in, in doing it. And that means demonstrating. It means getting information out there that the media can use, which um, highlights the difficulties that the club has, while still supporting every activity on the pitch, as is always the case, that the team gets the fullest support. It's doing one doesn't necessarily conflict with the other. I think I think they've in fact I think they complement each other. The fact that we will support the team through thick and thin demonstrates uh, the quality of the Everton support and should make Fard Mashiri realise the sincerity in which we then demonstrate uh, our concerns. Thank you, Paul. Anything to add to that, Roger, before we finish? Uh, not really. Um I think you know Unless it's united, it's pointless. That's my, that that's my message. Um, uh, you know, imagine um, the entire stadium holding up a card that says, "Time for change. We demand better." Amanda, imagine the media attention that that would get. Um, and, and let's not underestimate the task because it is significant. Manchester United are a very well-orchestrated campaign with the green and gold scarves and all of that. And the Glazers have ignored them for years, right? But um, I'm going to be 60 next year. Um, and and um, my club's never been relegated and I don't want that to happen. Thank you very much. So I want to do everything possible 
that I can, short of doing a 600-mile round trip to every home game, which is a little bit difficult 19 times a year. Um, I, I want to bring whatever influence I can to bring about change because Farhad Mashirian, you know, 2016 was the great hope. You know, a season, let us not forget that we had two cup semi-finals under Bobby Brown shoes um, and we're a dodgy decision away at the Etihad away from getting to a League Cup final and a missed penalty by Rom to get into an FA Cup final. Um, and things have gone, the next season we got into Europe, we finished seventh. Things have gone downhill ever since then. Mashiri's been a disaster uh, and he needs to behave as a responsible owner now and either change his own ways of operating or sell the club to someone who can make, make us better, not just the person with the biggest pile of cash. Thank you, Roger. Couldn't agree more. And obviously words from, from Paul as well. You know, this football club, Roger's just mentioned his age, well, I'll mention mine as well. I'm, I'm closing on 40 uh, at the start of next year. I'm not old enough really to remember 95. I remember the celebrations and being there, but I mean, I was, I was 11. Um, you know, I'm closing on 40 now and I haven't seen this football club win anything. Uh, you know, giving, giving up my time um, to try and help and, and to do all I can. We all love this football club together. You know, the the stronger we are together, you know, the more we unite as fans, maybe we can start to make a difference. I'm never one to judge anyone. You know, if you don't want to turn up protest, then, then, then that's fair enough. Uh, but ask questions, be you know, be don't be judgmental. Um, but but also you know, ask questions and be inquisitive. Um, you know, we 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 do need to get better as a football club, and no one can sit here today and think that that the Everton Football Club are before. But we're doing all we can to to do the best we can. Um, so just just start to to, to look at articles that Paul puts out. Um. The ask on Twitter started to be a bit more inquisitive about why maybe we're not buying players in transfer windows as fans, um, you know, and set up a protest because they are inclusive, uh, you know, they are welcoming, um, you know, from my experience as well. You know, there's people of all ages, kids that set up there holding the banners. Um, I, I, we all want the same thing as Roger mentioned before. We all want better Everton Football Club and more than that we want a football club that wins trophies and we can do that if we're united and we're together thank you very very much for listening to this podcast as always um and uh i'm sure we'll speak to you very shortly Searching every corner of my mind Looking for the answers I can't find I have my reasons and life has its lessons I try to be grateful and count all my blessings Heavy is the head that wears the crown Can't 
Amen in Jesus' name, yes I declare it Any little seed I receive, I for share it Brothers wanna break me down, I can't bear it But heavy is the head with the crown, I still wear it You can't hold me down, I still poke Rain falling down at the bricks, I'm still soaked Try to put a hole in our ship, we'll pull boats Two birds with one stone, I kill both Pray I never lose and pray I never hit the shelf Promise if I do that, you'll be checking on my health If it's for my people, I'll do anything to help If I do it out of love, it's not to benefit myself Ooh, gotta stay around and make a comeback too I know my only mother wants to sum back too They're saying I'm the voice of the young black youth And then I say yeah cool and then I want my zoo And now I'm Searching every corner of my mind Searching every corner Look for the answers Looking for the answers I can't find My reasons and life has its lessons. I try to be grateful and count all my blessings. Amen in Jesus' name, oh yes I claim it Any little bread that I make, I have to break it Brothers wanna break me down, I can't take it I done a scholarship for the kids, they said it's racist That's not anti-white, it's pro-black Hang me out to dry, I won't crack All these fancy ties and gold plaques Never had no silver spoons on our mouths, we sold light Don't comment on my culture, you ain't qualified Stab us in the back and then apologise If you knew my story, you'll be horrified The irony of trapping on a Boris bike Gotta stay alive and save my brother as well Look at all these legends on the cover of hell Long time coming but we come to prevail I guess a little bit of heaven that's the come of the hell, you know? Searching every corner of my mind Searching high, look for the answers Looking for the answers I can't find No silver lining I have my reasons Life has its lessons I try to be grateful and count all my blessings Heavy is the head that wears the crown Heavy is the head that wears the crown